0: And so we're looking at the particular aspects of the atmosphere and how those have changed and how that might impact uh, both the timing of arrival of those animals, which we call phenology, but and um, their population trends, right? So many of these aerial insectivores, and one of the reasons we're interested in them is that they're declining and and in, in many cases declining more rapidly than other sort of related species. And so we think that there might be something particular to this type of lifestyle of foraging on insects in the air that's uh, causing them to decline
1: rapidly. You're listening to Further Together, the O-R-A-U podcast. Join Michael Holtz and his guests for conversations about all things O-R-A-U. They'll talk about ORAU's storied history, our impact on an ever-changing world, our innovative scientific and technical solutions for our customers, and our commitment to the communities where we do business. Welcome to Further Together, the O-R-A-U podcast.
2: Happy Wednesday and welcome to another episode of Further Together, the O-R-A-U podcast. My name is, as always, Michael Holtz. I am your host and I am excited to talk to this week's guest. We have Jeff Kelly, who's a professor at the University of Oklahoma. He is also a consultant for us at ORAU, and um, we're going to talk about data science and weather and climate change and um, why data matters and, and lots of different things like that. And um, Jeff Kelly, I'm really excited to have you here. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast.
0: Thank you, Michael. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me.
2: Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about who you are and, and what you do.
0: Um, I'm a professor of biology at the University of Oklahoma, um, and I've studied uh, animals that migrate for a long time. And um, But Oklahoma is also a great uh, atmospheric sciences school, um, and we have really strong uh, weather radar programs. And so through that, I've gotten uh, interested in this interdisciplinary work where we use a lot of weather radar data uh, in our studies of animals. And that's uh, led to some interesting insights through the data science avenue.
2: That's really exciting. And it really underscores why data and data science is important. Um, About a year ago, you and some of your team members at the University of Oklahoma participated in our um, data science webinar series and talked about various aspects of data really from the weather and atmospheric sciences and animal migration perspective, talk a little bit, if you would, just about the importance of data, um, why it's important in terms of, um, you know, marking changes and trends and kind of all of the things that you all do with, with data in the atmospheric sciences and, and climate world.
0: Absolutely, it's, um, it's, it's vital um to us in terms of understanding long-term and large-scale patterns so um, one of the things that we struggle with as biologists is being able to um track and get data on patterns across um, regional or national scales and one of the things that weather radars do really well is collect data at large spatial patterns and um it's it's sort of a um A happenstance that uh, the weather radar data were archived for so long and people didn't really think about the biological value of them. But as we go back and we look at those archives, now we can look at decades of bird migration data, um, bad emergence data, and start to look at patterns related to climate change. And weather changes and how they've impacted animals uh in ways that nobody really thought about when they started archiving those data so so just the value of those data for things that we haven't thought about before um, okay. is immense
2: and you mentioned that that data was just kind of kept by happenstance just sort of people were interested so here's what's going on <laughs> so let's you know kind of track the data but not really systematically it doesn't sound like
0: Right, and and the weather and climate, right? So the, the, the radar data are are archived by NOAA primarily because they're interested in weather and weather instances, um, and it wasn't you know with the intention of having biological insights, but be, through this interdisciplinary interface, you know, people came to the data and said, hey, this is a huge biological archive, and it's great that it's been it's been stored. Um, And now the biologists can use it for all kinds of studies that meteorologists hadn't really considered or thought about as being important. Um, And so once you have the data, the possibilities for new people to come up with clever ideas to create new understanding is all dependent upon that data and data science.
2: It sort of makes the people of the past look like geniuses on some level, you know, that the weather's been that that data has been kept because now we can use it in different ways.
0: And and it is it's always a struggle because there will be um, funding restrictions on why are we spending this money to archive these data? If you look at museums now that are struggling with how to fund, you know, the their collections and their curation, and how to keep those data uh, archives, you know, modern and and accessible, Um, these are, you know, you have to think about the future generations and Mm -hmm. the better methods that they will have for making, for creating new knowledge from the data that's already been collected. Um, And and so that's an ongoing, um, you know, concern for people who really understand the value of data and the the long-term value of of, uh, curation and collecting those data.
2: That there's a cost, basically, to managing that process and keeping the data and storing it.
0: Right, and that that the value will accrue to the future because we will come up with new methods. I mean, we work with people who are doing machine learning, um, artificial intelligence, computer vision methods for analysis of, of the data that's coming off of the radars in ways that people 20 years ago, when they started archiving those data, had no idea would be possible or would be valuable. Um, but because we now have those methods, we can we can learn things from those data that we couldn't have learned when they were collected, which is kind of an amazing thing to think about.
2: Right, right. Yeah, it is um, amazing how much the world has changed just from a technology perspective in such a short amount of time. Um, talk about, if you would, um, some of the work that you're doing. I know that you've, um, been doing some work related to, um, as I'm looking here, uh, purple martins and tree swallows, right? Some bird species and migration and right. that sort of thing. Um, talk about the work. And again, like, why does it matter to me as a human being sitting in in you know, Oak Ridge Tennessee?
0: Absolutely. Um, right, so, so one of the things that we are interested in is the connection between um, weather, climate change, and the biological systems that depend on our um, weather and climate patterns. When uh, birds migrate, um, they time those seasons uh, to be um, here when there's food available. And so this project that we're looking at um, is looking at how the uh, weather and climate have changed, how that impacts the flying insects in the air and then how it impacts those birds and their arrival time and their success. And so these species that we call aerial insectivores, mm-hmm. um, they fly around and they catch insects in the air. And that's sort of a very specialized kind of way of living. Um, and it all depends on atmospheric conditions, right? The insects are in the air, and the uh, the birds and bats that are eating them are in the air. And so we're looking at the particular aspects of the atmosphere and how those have changed and how that might impact uh, both the timing of arrival of those animals, which we call phenology, but, and, um, their population trends, right? So okay. many of these aerial insectivores, and one of the reasons we're interested in them is that they're declining and, and in in many cases declining more rapidly than other sort of related species. And so we think that there might be something particular to this type of lifestyle of foraging on insects in the air, that's uh, causing them to decline rapidly.
2: And does that then show evidence in your mind of climate change and how that's impacting, I would assume that insects, the food source, which is the insects, thusly, the the insectivores as well?
0: Right. And I think that's, that's really an open question, right? Okay. So, so the, one of the really interesting, um, unknowns is, is why are these aerial insectivores declining so quickly? And, and is it related to what's happening to the insects in the air or is it related to what's happening to the insects on the ground? Oh, okay. um, and so one of the things, so many of these insects, um, uh, live part of their life cycle, like in aquatic environments and streams and rivers, and then they emerge and then they fly. And so is the, is the problem with these insects um, on, the aqua- on the aquatic side or is it in the atmospheric side? And so that's one of the uh, questions that we're hoping to look at. We're using a whole bunch of data from national networks to try to understand uh, those linkages because um, there has been a lot of concern about insect declines um, uh, globally. And and those two things might be linked or they might not. And that's really one of the things that we're trying to use all of this publicly available data from many different data sources and integrating it um, to try to understand those questions.
2: That's a, that seems like um, a really important question. Um, given how it it seems like we, you know, we hear reports of you know, honeybee declines and, and other um, not only insects, but, but birds and other, you know, other creatures, you know, population declines that seem to be happening at a pretty fast pace.
0: It, it is. And, and it is concerning. And, you know, you ask the question, you know, so, so why does it matter to me? Right. Um, and, and there are, there are several different answers to that. I mean, on one level, um, mm-hmm. You know, there are many ecosystem services that are provided, uh, such as, you know, those by honeybees for pollination, um, that could be very important in a very sort of direct economic way. But we also worry a lot about um, the pace of change and the impacts of the change on our environmental systems, right? And, And we depend on those systems in the same way that other organisms do. And so we buffer ourselves in some ways from those systems, but but we also are susceptible to the kinds of climate changes and severe weather that impact many of these organisms. And so by studying these organisms, I think we can get some, some insights and some predictions about how quickly things are changing and, and how important that might be to us and what sort of preventative actions we would have to take uh, to protect ourselves as well as the systems that we depend on.
2: Gotcha, that makes perfect sense. So we all have a role at some level in, making sure that those habitats can be maintained, that food sources are available, et cetera. Um, Jeff, talk about, if you will, other um, research projects that are ongoing at the University of Oklahoma related to um, weather, climate, populations, um, related to data science and and the work that you all do.
0: Absolutely, so there is a lot of um, work from Um, infectious disease, right? Um, And the links between um, emerging infectious diseases, wildlife populations, and um, sort of remote sensing of habitat change, climate change, um, the interface between um, human built environments and wildland environments, and sort of what the transfer of, of disease vectors is, right? So if you think about mosquitoes, mm-hmm. um, so all of these kinds of projects are ongoing here at the University of Oklahoma. There's also a lot of um, sort of classically severe weather uh, work, right? So we use a lot of um, atmospheric science and radar data. The National Weather Center is here at the University of Oklahoma. Um, so there's a lot of tornado and hurricane forecasting work that's going on here, um, as long as well as a bunch of um, more classical ecology and evolutionary biology, looking specifically at um, the attributes and, and uh, relationships between organisms and their environment, much more directly.
2: So there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot happening. There's a lot going on. Um, and you know, I know other of our university partners have you know equally robust data science programs. Where and I would be remiss as ORAU if I didn't ask questions about things like career possibilities and you know um, career paths for data scientists. Um, how did how did you personally get to where you are in terms of using data?
0: Yeah, that, uh, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure that I would I would encourage young people to follow the path that I follow. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, but mine comes from a sort of research mentality where I have questions I want to answer and it's clear that I need new and better data science methods to, to ask those in a modern way. Okay. I think students coming in right now um, have so many opportunities to um, to learn data science methods, but to apply them to whatever discipline they're interested in, whether that's health or engineering. Um, It it underlies so many of the um, STEM disciplines to have core sort of computing. We run computing workshops uh, here for all of our um, STEM undergraduates um, and many people outside of STEM, right? Um, that will uh, use these methods uh, for text mining, um, you know, in literature and those sorts of things. So um, I would really encourage students to uh, get a good um, computational background. Um, I think it's fundamental um, to any kind of uh, scholarship uh, in the the modern era. And, And we certainly have strong data science programs here at the University of Oklahoma and this would be a great place to come and, and, and pursue those kinds of, of goals.
2: Awesome. And you said oh you know your team is interdisciplinary. So there's you know whether you whether you're an engineer or an atmospheric scientist or a mathematician, you know, you can work across disciplines to to work on research projects with other people.
0: Absolutely and and I think uh, the stereotype of the sort of lone scientist in the lab um, you know solving the world's problems by themselves is uh is a pretty outmoded way of of working Uh, now you most of the projects i'm involved in have large teams people from different disciplines the the problems are so complex um, that a, a, a solution is very unlikely to come from one discipline okay. without intersection of other disciplines and other points of view. And so we really strive at the early stages of the project to get many viewpoints involved in, in sort of problem formation, like right? what, what is the problem and how are we going to address that? And, and so um, maybe as much as the data science following that, those are huge changes that have happened in the way that we do um, science. and and this sort of convergence interdisciplinary approach um, has become sort of a fundamental part uh, of, of what data we need and how we need to analyze it.
2: It sounds to me like now is, a, is an exciting time um, and an interesting time to be involved in the sciences. Um, and for our young people who are you know, seeking those careers, you know they get to work with lots of people so it's that seems like a level of excitement that um not to say it wasn't there before but it just makes it different it's a different world so you know as you said you don't have that lone scientist like in the in the old cartoons that would have that eureka moment by himself right right the team the team moment
0: (laughs) yeah and i think um you, you know there are still people who who do their own thing and go their own road but if, if you're interested in um, being a part of a team that's trying to solve big, complicated, important problems, then this is sort of a golden era uh, for you because you can, you can play a role, you can bring your own sort of expertise and, and way of doing things to a team, um, but you can also have the support of that team and, and work on a bigger problem than you might be able to tackle by yourself. And you know, as, as you think about it as a student, you can plug into those teams as an undergraduate or as a graduate student or as a postdoctoral researcher, like at, at every level, you know, teams have people working on different levels of the problem. Um, and so it's, it's great to have that sort of uh, different levels of experience also integrated into the one big problem that we're all trying to solve. Um, and so I think that um, can make uh, the graduates student experience the training experience much more um fulfilling because you can see how your work is integrated with a much bigger piece as opposed to sort of working on your own project off on your own and and having to sort of toil on it by yourself
2: and there's a level of mentorship there where you're connecting with you know different people at different levels of experience and skill um, so that you know if you're sort of the the young new you know student versus someone who's been around a little bit longer you get the the mentorship of someone who's who's walked in those shoes
0: right and so the and so the conversation we've had sort of uh outlines the challenges of modern student training in that you need that that depth of of understanding in your discipline and in data science um and in in those computational methods but you also need this breadth of training so that you can mm-hmm. understand what people from all these other disciplines are talking about and the way they're perceiving the problem and the way that they would address the problem. And so um, those two things, those two dimensions are really sort of the modern challenge for uh, students who are uh, trying to be successful in in these fields and, and in answering these really complicated questions.
2: Well, it sounds like a great time to get involved in science um, wherever you are as a student. Jeff Kelly. thank you so much for spending a few minutes with me talking about data science and some of your work and really the importance for future students to um, plug themselves
1: in and learn more and get involved in data science. It was fun, thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely, I appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to Further Together, the O.R.A.U. podcast. To learn more about any of the topics discussed by our experts, visit www.orau.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, at O.R.A.U., and on Instagram, at O.R.A.U. together. If you like Further Together, the O.R.A.U. podcast, we would appreciate you giving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews will help more people find the podcast.